Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. There is a word in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verses 13 through 22, I want us to read together. And I want you to read the 14th and the 15th chapter of Exodus as you have opportunity. I want us to begin in verse 13, or at verse 13, and read down to verse 22. Let's begin reading. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore crieth thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the heart of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten my honor upon Pharaoh upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Amen. May the Lord bless his word. I want to preach about... Finding dry ground in wet places. Finding dry ground in wet places. This is one of the truly marvelous and momentous miracles in the Word of God. Recorded here in the book of Exodus, the Pentateuch in the Old Testament. And when you understand the gravity and the import of this miracle, this deliverance for the children of Israel, 
You can understand why it became in the musings and the ministries of the prophets a watershed event in the life of God's people of the Old Testament. It has become, or it did become, a reference point from which priests and prophets spoke of the majesty, the sovereignty, and the power of God. It is from this frame of reference that the Lord spoke through Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 51 verse 5 and said, I am the Lord thy God that divided the sea, whose waves roared the Lord of hosts is my name. The prophet Nahum announced in this frame of reference, this deliverance, this deed, that the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind. And in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry. In the shadows of a rebuilt and restored wall that would give protection and security to those who had returned from captivity to Jerusalem, Nehemiah prayed and praised God for the deliverance that took place at the Red Sea. He prayed, and thou didst divide the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. Reminiscent and mindful of God's favor, the psalmist declared in Psalm 66 and 6, he turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot, and there they did rejoice with him. These and many other passages remind us of how pivotal and primary this event was in Israel's journey from bondage to blessing. And there is, in many ways, a recognition that what the resurrection is to the New Testament, the Exodus, and particularly the Red Sea deliverance is to the Old Testament. But but lest we leave this narrative, lest we leave these truths, lest we leave these principles in the dark, dim, distant, detached archives of antiquity. It is important for us to realize that Paul told the church at Corinth that these things were written for our examples. They were written for our instruction. They were written for our nourishment. They were written for our benefit unto whom the ends of the world has come. Israel found in this passage dry ground in wet places. Dry ground or dry land or dry place. It's used with compelling redundancy in the text. When you find redundancy, repetitiveness, uh, as you have in the text, five places it occurs in chapter 14 and 15. That kind of repetition is a signal to us that God the Holy Spirit is trying to remind us of something. And it forced me in preparation to research the occurrence of dry ground, dry land, dry places, in the word of God with a concordance, you can do the same kind of word study that I did. But, but it's interesting because there are different usages of this phrase, this term. On one hand, there is the creative use. Wow. 
the creative use, how God in his providence, in his creative activity, not only made the sea and the waters, but he also made the dry ground. On the third day of God's creative uh, work, it said that he, he gathered the sea in one place. And he called the sea, sea. And he called the earth, the dry ground, earth. God, in the very first chapter of his written revelation, reminds those of us who are dealing with the wet places, where traction is difficult, where we slip and slide, where we must reduce our spiritual speed where there are road hazards all around, that he made both the earth and the sea. He made both dry ground and the wet places. But there is also the use that conveys the reality of bondage, the reality of barrenness, the use that conveys in scripture the the condition of spiritual poverty and impoverishment, life can become a dry place and can become an expression or a consequence of our disobedience to God and God's constant judgment upon us. Because apart from God, our lives can become so barren. Our lives can become so broken. Our lives can become so cracked. Our lives can become so fruitless. That we are tragically vulnerable to the residence and the presence of the demonic. Barren places. Dry ground is used in that context. Dry ground is used in the creative context. That is not the context, neither of those, in which it is used in the text today. The usage in our text is primarily pastoral. It's pastoral, and it's instructive of how God leads his sheep. How the shepherd leads his sheep through and around torrential streams into still waters. The 23rd Psalm, he leadeth me beside the still waters. Sheep are frightened by the roar of rushing water. And so the wise, caring, compassionate shepherd would find dry ground near still streams to help his sheep cross over. Dry ground in the pastoral context is the place of confidence. It's the place of stability. It is the place of security. It is the corridor that transports us from bondage to blessing. Dry ground is the incubator that shields and shades us from trial and tribulation. Dry ground is the cocoon of God's compassion. Dry ground is the place where God's supply meets our every need. That's why it's important for us to know we can find some dry ground in wet places. These are the things the text teaches us about it. This will help us in our ability to find that stability, that security, that traction, uh, that support, that freedom we need in wet places. First of all, this text reminds us that there is a providential plan and purpose 
It's right there in the text. And you got to go back to chapter 14, verse 1, because Israel is being led by God. Now, when you read the text, it says that he led them to a place by his Shekinah glory, the pillar of fire at night, the cloud of day, called Pehiaroth, near a place called Beelzephon and Milgal. Each of these words have a significance. Pehiaroth means place of meadows, a place of victory. Migal means fortress or fort. And Beelzephon means judgment. All of these names, when you see names in the word of God, names are significant. Because God through his judgment over the Israelites would become a fortress that would lead Israel to a place of victory. The great generals of military history would not have chosen. This was militarily a nightmare. With the wilderness on both sides, the sea behind them, so they were flanked by the wilderness, and the sea was in the back, and guess who's coming? This is a place that no general would have chosen. But God chose the place because the shortest distance between two points is not always the way the Lord want to take us. See, if some of us go the short route, we'll forget how to pray. If some of us go the short route, we'll forget how to read the Bible. If some of us go the short route, we'll be too judgmental of other people's problems. See, Paharoth and Baal-Zephon and Migdal were places where God wanted to marinate his children. Oh, y'all don't hear me this far. See, sometimes God want to marinate us with misery. He want to tenderize us with testing and trial. He want to season us with suffering. He want to flavor us with frustration and futility because when he does that, when he does that, and deliverance come, we can sing if it had not been for the Lord on my side. So some of y'all all upset this morning. You just in marination mode. God is working through you. He's working in you. He's working on you. He's allowing that relationship to be difficult because he want to teach you how to pray. He's allowing you to struggle because he wants to teach you how to be dependent on him. He's allowing folk to be mean to you because he wants you to learn to love your enemies and pray for them that despitefully use you. He's tenderizing us. Some of us are just too tough. Just too tough. And we're not ready for the grill of his grace. It's God. If you want to find dry ground in wet places, realize that God's in charge. He has a providential plan and purpose. And wherever he puts you, wherever he places you, whatever situation it is, you are there because he wants the glory.
There's a providential plan and purpose. There's a persistent pursuit and pool. A persistent pursuit and pool. Here they are at this place of testing. And here comes Egypt. Pharaoh had a change of mind. The plagues had brought him to a point of submission, but it was short-lived. He says, our economy can't survive the loss of these slaves, and so we're going after them. And so he chose his royal guard, his best charioteers, and all the other chariots in Israel. You might say this was his armored division. He didn't bring the infantry that day. Brother meant business. He bought the armored division. And here he comes after Israel. We spend really the rest of our lives after we've decided to go to the promised land with Jesus trying to get rid of Egypt. And notice I said the pursuit of Egypt and the pull of Egypt. There is pursuit and pull because one reason Egypt is so powerful is because we have a pull on the inside toward Egypt. There are still some things we have a taste for that we shouldn't. It still gets in our feet when it shouldn't. See, the devil is a magnet. What we need to do is make sure whatever we are wearing spiritually, whatever, whatever we are wearing spiritually, it is loose fitting and it doesn't hold the particles that attracts the magnet to us. When you're running around with a bad attitude, all you are is a magnet for the devil. When you run around with selfishness and vindictiveness and jealousy and strife, all you and I are doing in a materialistic mindset. We just have the particles that will attract. Because if there's nothing in us that will attract him, then he'll mess around and leave you alone. Do I have a witness here? And so the problem with Israel is while they were in Egypt, they were still magnetized because as soon as Pharaoh showed up, they started thinking like Egyptians. They said to Moses, said, listen, wasn't it enough graves in Egypt that you have to bring us out here and die? There is a pursuer. There is a pull that we need to be aware of because the devils don't come. There's a paralyzing perception and perspective. The Shekinah glory See, when Egypt shows up, God's grace is operative. As they saw the Egyptian army approaching, they were captivated by fear. And they started looking at the Egyptians and not looking at God. And anytime that happens, we lose dry ground. We find ourselves in a wet place. Where you are standing today have a lot to do with who you're looking at. Here at this place, as Pharaoh's army approached Israel, gripped with fear, God did something. And he does it for us too, and I'm so glad he does. He moved from the front of the column to the back of the column. And he hid. See, sometimes we've tried to, we've tried to get rid of that thought. We've tried to, to get rid of that hurt. We've tried to get rid of that pain on our own. But God takes his grace and mercy, and he moves behind us. 
so that we don't see the person anymore. We don't see the situation anymore. We don't see the hurt anymore. We don't see the problem anymore. We don't see the pain. We just see God's glory. And what was darkness to the Egyptians was light to God's children. Isn't that good news? And there's this perception and this perspective which when we look at Egypt, it paralyzes us. When we look at God, it empowers us. Finally, there's a proven power and provision. Lord tells Moses, he says the point. He says, in a sense, you always had the capacity to cross the sea. He says, don't you remember when I told you to throw the rod down? That when you threw it down, it became a serpent. And when you picked it up, it became a rod again. He says, I know you've told the Israelites to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, but you can't stand still. I've given you dry ground so you can cross over. He says, but I'm going to open it up for you one step at a time. And so you point. You point and the sea will divide and the children of Israel can cross. God's given us the rod of his word. And I'm telling you, God's word works. And if you stand on his word... If you stand on his promises, you'll be able to find dry ground in wet places. His power and his provision. The children of Israel walked over. You know why I love dry ground? Write this down, Isaiah 53 and 2. Here we have humanity, as the prophet write, drenched with the dire destructiveness of a dastardly death. Here we have humanity wet with the winsome, weary stench of sin. Here we have humanity damp with the dark deeds of determined disobedience. Here we have humanity moist with the misery and machinations of misguided direction. But here we have the prophet saying, God's going to give you some dry ground. And this is what Isaiah tells the children of Israel and tells us who have believed our report. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And this is the part that makes me happy. When God chose to save us, when God chose to help us, when God chose to meet us at our wet places, he says, as a root out of dry ground. You know what Jesus is and who he is? He's a root. Dry ground don't necessarily give fruit. Dry ground is not a place of fertility. Dry ground is not a place of production. But Jesus can be a root out of dry ground. Do we have a witness? He's a root out of dry ground. Word of God said he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was up on him. God did not provide an alternative route uh, through the Red Sea. What God did was he took the route that's there. He commanded the elements to stand up and he told the wind to blow on it and he caused the muddy waters to become dry ground. Some of you are looking for love in all the wrong places. You're looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Your dry ground may not be over there 
Uh, your dry ground may not be another relationship. Uh, your dry ground uh, may not be a divorce. Uh, uh, your dry ground may not be another job. But beneath the waters that you are facing, uh, beneath the storm uh, you're going through, uh, when God starts working, when God starts moving, when God starts blowing, the dry ground is right beneath you. You're walking on it. Uh, you're standing on it. So pick up your head. Uh, pick up your head. Pick up your heart and take a step. And when you step, click your heels. Say the Lord is able to make a way out of no way. Lord is able. I found dry ground in wet places when I was down and out. I had no friend in the world. Jesus picked me up. Do I have a witness? Look down beneath uh, the stormy waters and you might see uh, your dry ground. Is he able? Is he able? No alternative route. The route that you own. God can move the waters. Blow on the surface and allow you to walk over. Oh, what? Dry ground. Dry ground. Come on, deacons. Come on. I found some dry ground. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.